Hello again, this is Mike Bolton with Live Like Jesus, a weekly, bi-weekly podcast where we bring gospel lessons for your consideration and edification. The lesson today is entitled, If I Am Lost, and it is intended to be thought-provoking and cause us to consider the reasons that we could be lost and what that ideal or concept means. I would like to use as a text in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19 and reading through verse 31, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There the Gospels say, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, so, that it, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you, you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there to us. And he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus, send him, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. No, he said, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Our text today presents to us a very wonderful, although disturbing, contrast. That of the successful rich who have everything going their way, and the very poor who are helplessly in the ditch begging. But the contrast is actually much more than social contrast of well-to-do and the down and out. While the story does tell about the advantage of the upper class and the disadvantages of the poor, the story really takes on merit when the eternal well-being of these two men are considered. There's no use beating around the bush. Some today are better off for a myriad of circumstances. Sometimes these circumstances enable some to be successful by some measure. For example, a child reared in a godly home is more likely to be godly as a result. A child who is reared in a home with a father and mother is more emotionally stable and thus has a better chance at success for, by some, in some measure. More to the point, we here in America have certain freedoms that the world as a whole does not enjoy. While those freedoms are being constantly restricted more and more, they do enable us to live a godly life more easily. But too often the ease created by the advantage of the freedoms in the West have caused us to be lazy and slothful 
concerning our well-being eternally. Many look at the story that we have as our starting point today and criticize the rich man because he did not help the beggar. Some have even expostulated that his scrooginess is why he was lost. But the scripture doesn't give us any hint as to why the rich man was lost. It just says he also died and was buried. That's about the only thing those two men have in common. And death and the grave is a common factor for all men. They both died and they both were buried. They pictured the vast majority of cultures and many interactions that exist in our culture today, our world today. There's certainly a different class of people everywhere that you go. Rich and poor, educated and ignorant, impoverished and wealthy, healthy and sick, successful and failure. But the only distinction that really matters, that really matters, that really counts, are the classes of saved and lost. One of the great parables that the Lord used to illustrate this most serious distinction is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, where Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered to him. And he will separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I guess it's not too simple of a question to ask. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? The Lord illustrates this idea, this concept even further. He says in Matthew 13, verse 47, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now I give these three illustrations from the gospels, from the gospel of Matthew, to demonstrate the fact of the possibility of being lost. These stories referenced teach us the sad fact that some are lost, some are saved. And story after story could be repeated both in and out of the Gospels until my voice wore out of men who said, someday, someday, someday I'll get ready. Someday I'll obey the Gospel. I don't want to go to hell today. I don't want to go to hell someday, but someday I'll get ready for heaven. I want to go to heaven, but I'll get ready later. And then like Lazarus and like Dives, the rich man, they die, they're buried, and their eternal fate is sealed that someday for them never came. As we consider the possibility of being lost, I want you to keep in mind the reality that awaits those who are lost. Dives, the rich man in the first parable who was lost, found himself in surroundings that the Word of God describes very graphically in torments, no water, in hell, in flame, separated from those he knows and loves, and all that he is good, that is good. He found himself among the wicked. He found himself wailing. He found himself gnashing his teeth. We begin with attempt, an attempt to draw the contrast between 
the advantaged and the disadvantaged. And that is an excuse that many people use today to explain or excuse certain behaviors. But when it comes to being lost, there's no excuse. We're all on equal footing. The scripture says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we're all equal before God. That's what the scripture teaches. There's only two classifications then. We need to understand that life is uncertain. Wealth and health is ours today, not promised for tomorrow. Loss and deprivation may be tomorrow. Only one thing that is certain, we will die. We will stand before God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 17 tells us that God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. As unpleasant as it is, we must all consider this fairly and honestly. Many people live their life as though this is not a reality. Even those who have obeyed that form of doctrine and have been baptized into Christ act as though... It's not that important. But there are some important facts that we must remember if we're going to be lost. First of all, we will not be alone. We will not be alone if we're lost. At first glance, we may think that this is comforting, but really it isn't. Being alone is something many people dread. Being in a crowd with the wrong ones that's even worse. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there will be many who go in at it. Narrow is the gate, verse 14, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. There's that nagging thought that won't leave us alone sometime, that most likely whether we're lost or saved, we almost surely will have caused someone else to be in the same condition that we're in. Lost or saved. Keep in mind Romans 14 verse 7 where the Apostle Paul explains that none of us live to himself and none of us die to himself. Probably those closest to us, the ones nearest and dearest to us will be influenced the most. It could be wife or husband, son or daughter, father or mother. If we're lost, Someone precious to us is likely going to be lost also, and we will have contributed to their eternal condition. Murderers, liars, thieves, adulterers, ungodly, disobedient, rebellious, vulgar, scoffers, atheists, hypocrites, lewd, dishonest people, Satan and his hordes, heathens, idolaters. This is the type of crowd who are lost eternally. And that's a fine company that we attach ourselves to when we're lost. Point number two, if I am lost, I am lost forever. There are scores of millions today that are lost, but because they're still living, they have the opportunity to be saved. 
Their eternal destiny can be changed. They can take advantage of the mercy of God that has been extended to them, of God's great grace. But after the common factor of all humanity, diet, death, there will be no change. There is hope now. There will be no hope then. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. As it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus says, And these will go away into everlasting judgment, but the righteous to eternal life. In Revelation 20, verse 10, we read, And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Do you know how long eternity is? The doctrine of purgatory that has given so many false hopes, it's not biblical. There's no place in the afterlife where sins can be cleansed. There is coming a day when the last opportunity to go to heaven for each and every one of us will have passed away. There is coming a day when the blood of Jesus, as effective and as great as it is, will not be available any longer. If we are lost, we will suffer a twofold loss. Twofold loss. Not only will we be barred from heaven and all of its grandeur and all of its glory, as sad as that will be, but then we will also be condemned to hell. No choir of angels to sing about our being ransomed from sin. Rather, we will face torment worse than we can ever imagine. Folks, there's no middle ground. There's no in-between. There's no happy medium, no compromise. We'll be lost or we'll be saved. We'll suffer the torments of hell or we'll enjoy the joys of the Lord. If we're lost, we will have only ourselves to blame. Yes, others influence us. Yes, there's obstacles. Yes, there's discouragements. But ultimately, being saved or being lost is our personal choice. And no one can take that away. Each one of us will give an account of ourselves before God and we will individually be judged. If we are lost, number five, we cannot blame God. Some have reasoned wrongly that the very existence of sin is God's fault. If sin were banished from the world, the possibility of error would be extinct. This, of course, would make us robots and not men. We currently have the choice of doing God's will or rejecting God's will. Now, we know that God is not a sheriff in the sky waiting with his radar gun for us to make some little mistake or forcing us to serve him against our will. God is a gentleman, and he does give us a choice. This is a lesson of ancient history going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Every tree in the garden was planted for the good and for the benefit of Adam and Eve, except one. And they were warned, they were told, stay away from that tree, don't touch that tree, don't eat of that tree. But what did they do? They chose to disobey God's one commandment. Death was the consequence. Adam, knowing not being deceived, partook, he tried to blame God by saying, the woman that you gave me. But it wasn't Eve's fault that he ate. It wasn't God's fault that he ate. 
It was his fault. If we are lost, we cannot blame God. If we're lost, we cannot blame Jesus. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 that God has reconciled himself to us by Christ Jesus. <coughs> this makes it very clear that God was busy reconciling himself in his only son, Jesus Christ. We know that God, God's plan for saving the human race called for Jesus to go and hang on the cross and be the go-between, pay the ransom to save man and redeem them back to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself to be a ransom for all. Now listen, sin demands a penalty. Friends, if we're lost, we cannot blame Jesus because Jesus was that penalty. That penalty was paid in the body of Jesus Christ. Death was the payment for sin. And Jesus' death is the satisfaction for the sin of mankind. Men have sought and still do seek salvation through other means. False gods, good works, morality, education, philosophy, so forth and so along. The list can go on. But the search for salvation is useless if it doesn't center on Jesus Christ, if it doesn't begin and end with Jesus Christ. One thing for sure, the means of salvation has been secured. It is available. If I am lost, I cannot blame Jesus Christ. Number seven, if I'm lost, I can't blame the apostles. The concept of an ambassador is never better illustrated than in the life of the apostles. An ambassador is one who is authorized to represent another. The apostles were commissioned to take the gospel to the world, and they did this very thing. When we read in Acts, we learn they made this their life's concern. They wrote, they preached everywhere. And the Apostle Paul, writing in Hebrews chapter 2, says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken to us by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own wills. The Apostles did their job. Therefore, if we are lost, we cannot blame the apostles. If I am lost, I cannot blame the Bible. The connecting link between man and salvation, for man to obtain salvation, the apostle says of himself and his fellow apostles, that God has committed unto us this word of reconciliation. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Men can talk about Jesus speaking into their heart, about the Holy Spirit moving upon them, and any other thing that meets their fantasy. But the inspired word of God tells us very plainly that God uses his word to draw men back to him. We learn in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. 
James refers to the word of God as the perfect law of liberty, thus assuring us that the man who does this perfect law will be blessed. For the man who desires knowledge of salvation, let him turn to the book. For the man who needs to know how to correct his life, let him turn to the book. This is no doubt why Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But you must continue, Timothy, the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from a childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished into every good work. Ultimately, folks, if I'm lost, if you're lost, we have no one to blame but ourselves. You know, there's something that each and every individual must do to obtain salvation. Redemption has a personal responsibility and accountability to God attached to it. God will, I'll be so bold to say, he cannot do for us what we can do for ourselves. He cannot believe for us. He cannot repent for us. He cannot confess for us. He cannot be baptized for us. One can shout on the rooftops from now to the end of eternity that believing is not a work. That doesn't change the fact that believing is something we must do. The same is said for repentance, for confession, and for being washed in water for the remission of our sins. The fact is that God wants all men to be saved. We read in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 states that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We don't have to weep and beg for salvation. God's desire is to save us. And he will save us when we meet his conditions. Jesus wants to save you. That's why he died on the cross. We read in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Matthew 20, verse 28, he gave his life a ransom for many. In Titus 2, chapter 14, he gave himself for us and redeemed us. In Hebrews 2, verse 9, he tasted death for everyone. Revelation teaches us that the Holy Spirit wants everyone to be saved. The Spirit and the bride say come. The angels in heaven want us to be saved. In Luke 15 verse 20, Jesus says that the angels that there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. The members of the Lord's church want us to be saved. They already know the blessings of having their sins forgiven. They already know the joy in Jesus Christ. They already know the peace that passes understanding. They know the hope of heaven. They know the providence that God has promised. <coughs> they know that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. They know that salvation is in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 and 2 Timothy 2, 10. They have taken advantage of the offer made, by, made to man by the grace of God. They emulate the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 10 verse 1, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. We have in our main text this morning presented to us that even the lost 
Those who already have been condemned to eternity in hell do not want us to be saved. Do not want us to be lost. They want us to be saved. Recall, please, the rich man looking over the abyss, communicating with Father Abraham about his lost brothers. He's more concerned about them than his own torment. I remember the funeral of Brother John Tidmore. In a crowd of about 300 people, the majority who were not Christians, they heard the old gospel preacher say, if John didn't make heaven, he doesn't want you to come where he is today. That preacher man went on to say that the torments of hell far outweigh the pleasure of the company of our loved ones. The rich man had no one to blame but himself for his condition. You and I, we have no one to blame but ourself for our condition. May God help us as we read and learn and study that we live like Jesus. God bless you.